This episode of Out in the Bay contains adult themes. Discretion is advised. Welcome to Out in the Bay, Queer Radio. I'm Christopher Beale. This week, we're talking to an icon in San Francisco's queer kink community, Race Bannon. Kink is both an activity in a community and an identity for people who like to explore the sexuality on the edges. This weekend is the Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco. The first was held back in 1984. And if you've never been to this kink festival, it's wild. Imagine a couple hundred thousand people on the streets of San Francisco blocked off in a kind of a party atmosphere. I mean, typically you wouldn't just go to some sidewalk anywhere in the street and start spanking someone. Well, that may happen at Folsom Street Fair and you're going to be watching it. The kinkiest people from around the world descending on San Francisco for this largest kink fetish event in the world. There is nothing bigger than this. We're all grown-ups here, right? <laughs> We're talking leather, kink, sexuality, and Folsom Street Fair with Race Bannon. This week, out in the Bay. Support for Out in the Bay this month comes from Project Open Hand. Dining Out for Life East Bay is next Thursday, September 29th. It's a yearly event when diners can dine out to support Project Open Hand's East Bay HIV AIDS services. You can learn more at openhand.org. That's openhand.org. Race Bannon, welcome to Out in the Bay. Thank you for having me. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. And when did you come out? Officially when I was 17. I was already freshman in college. I knew when I was a very young little boy that I liked other little boys, and I didn't understand it, but I knew it pretty early. I always had an attraction to other guys. I had a bisexual period around the age of 16, and that lasted for about a year. <laughs> and then I said, no, I think I'm about a Kinsey 5.9. So, <laughs> so um, at 17, I came out and I immediately started going to gay bars underage. And I could grow facial hair, so I looked older. And in fact, I actually was working in a gay bar underage. Um, yeah, at the age of 18. San Francisco is this kind of LGBTQIA mecca. And I feel like a lot of people find themselves here for a reason. How did you end up in San Francisco? I like dense urban environments. So I'm from Chicago. After that was New York. After that was Los Angeles. And then I was in Los Angeles for 14 years. And my partner and I decided that we really needed a change. We moved here in 1994. In large part because I felt like I needed to have the San Francisco experience. It is certainly an LGBTQ accepting city. But apart from that, it was a unique city, I think, in the United States, and I wanted to experience it. In the 90s, when I arrived, we were still dealing with um, some of the throes of the AIDS crisis. Gay life here was, I'm going to say, in some ways more robust than it is today. And I say that because there were more venues, there were more bars, there were more types of queer stuff going on. That said, I am seeing a bit of a revival in that. And uh, it's heartening. I think the San Francisco of yore, on some level, despite all of its problems, and it has some, let's face it, uh, I am 
witnessing a lot of queer artists, queer venues, queer events, activism in a way I hadn't seen in a while. So I'm very hopeful that the old queer San Francisco is coming back. I always had an activist streak. I would help with gay pride in Chicago when I lived there. I helped organize the Anita Bryant protests that were taking place in Chicago. In New York, I was very busy. I was a dancer and sometimes on the road, and activism was a little tougher. When I moved to Los Angeles in 1980, I began with, obviously, AIDS activism. My political activism has always kind of been there. I've worked on various campaigns, and I'm a big believer in voter involvement of all kinds. And I've always been an activist around sexuality, kinky sexuality in particular, but sexuality generally, as well as relationship options and, and things like that. So I've, I've got that activist streak. I don't, I don't know if it's innate, but I've had it for a long time. I asked you to join because you're kind of an aficionado of, of all things kink and leather uh, here in the San Francisco community. And for a lot of folks that are approaching that for the first time, the sight of leather and bondage and ropes and chains and whips and all the wonderful things that one might see in a kinky environment can be daunting and intimidating and scary. You are a person that bridges that gap and is really good at, at uh, sort of breaking it down for people. So plain and simple, what is kink? Kink is both an activity in a community and an identity for people who like to explore the sexuality on the edges. Kink is anything that plays outside of the norms of sexuality, and that includes how we dress, how we socialize, how we interact with each other. It's not just the act in the bedroom or the playroom or whatever. It's, it goes well beyond that. I've always been kinky. I don't know that I popped out of the womb that way, but when I was a very young boy, eight or nine, we would play tie-up capture games, and I was always the one tying my fellow <laughs> friends to trees and things like that. And to them, it was play. To me, it had a connotation beyond that. They didn't know that at the time. I always seemed to gravitate towards something kinky. Now, I didn't understand it the way I do today until I walked into a leather bar at the age of 17 in Chicago. It happened to be one of the preeminent leather bars in the world at the time, the Gold Coast. And all I thought was, wow, number one, and two, I'm home. What do you think it is about the gay community specifically that feels so empowered to embrace kink? I think we have already experienced a process of coming out, and so we have practice at that. Many times I have heard people explain their discovery of their kink self, their kink identity, their kink proclivities as a second coming out, especially with people who strongly identify with kink. I think that the LGBTQ community is used to accepting differences in people. We are good at embracing diversity. We are a more openly sexual community. I believe we always have been. And therefore, discussing sexuality is really comfortable for us. Kink is just one more form of sexuality to a lot of 
queer folks. And, and I tend to use the, the queer verbiage because it's kind of encompasses everyone. When I say queer, I mean everybody who falls under that rainbow. I came out as gay in my teens, but I identify as queer now just because I like that there's a big question mark as to what that actually means. I love it. I come from an era when a lot, especially a lot of guys my age, still balk at that word because it was a word that was thrown at us as a very negative thing when we were younger. I like the fact that the community has taken back the word and it is uh, it is no longer used against us, but it's a, it's a word of, of uh, community pride. So... Uh, I wear that label comfortably and proudly. Queer and kinky. Queer and kinky. And I, yep, I am both. (laughs) Have you faced any discrimination for your kinks? I don't think I have, but part of that is by design. I have intentionally never entered a profession where I had to hide. Um, I'm certainly not necessarily, you know, gone into a meeting room in a corporation and said, by the way, I'm kinky. Now let's have a meeting. But I also don't (laughs) I've never I've never hid the fact that I'm gay or kinky from anyone. And I made a conscious decision a long time ago when I was gay first and then I was kinky that I was not going to hide that because if I was in an environment in which I had to hide it then that probably was not the environment for me. So you took the steps to put yourself in a position, first of all, in San Francisco, but within this community sort of as protection, right? Like you found your tribe, you found folks that are like you, and you all protect each other to a certain degree, right? We protect each other. We support each other. We teach each other. One of the great things about the kink and leather community, and especially in the United States, leather and kink often are used interchangeably. In fact, in, the, in Europe, they tend to use the word fetish more often. So the, the verbiage changes depending on where you are, but it's all kink. Um, fetish is like an F word in the United States, isn't it? It's, it's like an <laughs> F word. Yeah. Leather, to me, seems like kind of a great entry level into kink. Mm-hmm. Because it can be as simple as adding some gear to your look. In fact, for a lot of people, it starts as dress up and then kind of, you know, the stumbles into, oh, this is fun for other reasons, too. Does the leather and kink community appreciate all levels of involvement or is are there sort of like steps into it? Because like you, everybody yeah. has a harness, yeah. Folsom Street Fair weekend, which we're going to get to in just a yeah. second. But like uh, the people that are that are actively involved in the community are not necessarily those people. There are some purists within the leather and kink community, a vast minority, who kind of look down on the dress-up people who are just out there for the one event and put on a harness and whatever. I am not that person. Mm -hmm. I think everybody enters into kink in whatever way, shape, or form they decide, and sometimes that's their first harness and their first event, and they tiptoe in. And sometimes that's all they want to do, and that's fine. For other people, it is an entry point to more. So I have absolutely no problem with the weekend warrior. The other thing is that I have discovered over time somebody who appeared to be entering just from a dress up. Oh, I'm going to just throw this harness on or I'm going to wear this piece of leather just because it looks good. And two years later, I'm talking to them in a leather bar or at a kink event and they're deep in it. Leather is not the only thing. In fact, Uh, Oh, my my leather purists are going to hate me saying this, but I I have a lot of vegan friends who don't wear leather and they wear other things for gear because that's what's sexy to them and they don't necessarily want to wear leather. 
How often would you say that that's an issue that comes up? Because I was chatting with a friend of mine this week about Folsom Street Fair, and he was talking about how he has made the decision to stop eating beef and uh, stop having leather products. And so it's been this whole discussion about uh, the actual physical, tangible leather. When it comes specifically to leather, have you heard a lot of pushback about that? There's been some, but most people that encounter someone who doesn't want to wear leather for their own personal reasons, I've not witnessed anyone demeaning them in any way because of that. Fast forward 30 years into the future, if indeed the trends keep going and we're eating less beef, and that ethos of that's a good thing for the planet and for people manifests in culture, we may see 30 years from now more pushback. But currently, I'm not seeing a lot of pushback for it. You wrote the leather column in San Francisco's Gay Weekly, the Bay Area Reporter, for several years, ending at the height of the pandemic in 2020. How did that come to pass? I wrote it for seven and a half years. It was uh, originally Marcus Hernandez, Mr. Marcus's column. And then when Marcus passed, uh, it moved to Scott Brogan. He wrote it for, I believe, four years. And then they approached me. I immediately said yes. It was kind of a platform that was rare to have a bi-weekly column talking about the leather scene. I loved pretty much everything about it. Nine times out of 10, I was pretty passionate about every single thing that I wrote. Um, if anything was frustrating, it was not being able to be as overtly sexual and direct in my verbiage in that column because that's not the kind of newspaper it is. But then, as many things do, it had run its course for me. I was simply done and I wanted to do other things. So I told my editor, I said, I really have enjoyed this so much, but I need to step back. And we planned it out a few columns ahead so that, you know, I would exit gracefully. <laughs> I am very grateful to the Bay Area Reporter for giving me that. Jim Provenzano in particular, I thought he was a fantastic editor. Since 2020, walking away from that column, how have you kept your activism work going? I'm still very involved in community. I run a Facebook group for kinky gay men of about 2,800 members locally. I wrote for Recon for quite a while, which is a uh, gay men's kinky sexual hookup slash information site. I've maintained my activist roots, both generally in queer culture and also in kink culture. And you have a podcast too, don't you? What's On Guard Cigar Salon? Mr. Christopher, who is a very well-known person within kink culture, very close friend, and I and his friend, we call Pig. <laughs> that's, that's what we call him. We call him the Cigar Pig. Um, not an insult in this Not case. an insult at all. It is absolutely an, an, a, a term of endearment. We, during the pandemic, would sit in Amp, Christopher's partner's backyard, and smoke cigars and talk because it was the pandemic and it was outdoors and we were kind of a pod. And one day, I think it was Christopher who said this, said, we need to record this. This is good stuff. So we recorded first the three of us, and then we invited Graylin Thornton a couple episodes in to join the cast. And sort of four older guys that have been in the leather scene for a while, talking about our history, talking about things from our perspective, um, trying to understand the new younger perspective, talking about topics of interest to kinky people or even kink curious people. When the military are being discharged and let's say in San Francisco, many of them were Navy men mm -hmm. and they were used to wearing white pants. 
So you would go into a leather bar back in the day, and very often you would see a lot of men in white jeans, leather jackets, black boots, and that was kind of a uniform, at least one of the uniforms. The other thing was that the white pants made your bulge really good. <laughs> exactly. <Not bad>. <laughs> <laughs> we are social cigar smokers, all of us, and so that's why it was named On Guard Cigar Salon. And you can find it at onguardsalon.com. We'll talk about this weekend's Folsom Street Fair with Race Bannon in just a moment. Support for Out in the Bay this month comes from Project Open Hand. Dining Out for Life East Bay is next Thursday, September 29th. It's this yearly event where diners can dine out to support Project Open Hand's East Bay HIV AIDS services. Learn more at openhand.org. That's openhand.org. Race Bannon is a queer, kinky author, sex educator, and activist living in San Francisco. He's my guest this week out in the Bay. And this weekend in San Francisco is the very kinky Folsom Street Fair. It takes over the streets of Soma on Sunday. Imagine a couple hundred thousand people on the streets of San Francisco, kind of a party atmosphere. Lots of booths and vendors and food and drink. Lots of um, publicly consumable kinky things going on. Uh, lots Say of- more. What's a, what's a, what's the public version of kink? What is that? Well, you wouldn't. I mean, typically you wouldn't just go to some sidewalk anywhere in the street and start spanking someone. Well, that may happen at Folsom Street Fair, and you're going to be watching it. And um, you know, somebody may even say, "You want to come over and try it." So that's why I say publicly consumable in this environment. Uh, Everything from the average person who simply stumbles upon it and said, wow, this looks interesting and walks in, all the way to the kinkiest people from around the world um, descending on San Francisco for this largest kink fetish event in the world. There is nothing bigger than this. Do you remember your first Folsom Street Fair? Yeah. I do. I remember the two guys that I cruised who I can't remember the names of. Um, <laughs> and I'm having this long conversation with them and realizing that, you know, this, I, you know, I was home. I had never really seen kinky people out in the light <laughs> quite that much before Folsom Street Fair. I mean, it, most kink culture takes place, you know, behind doors, in bars, in play spaces. Under soft lighting. Under soft lighting, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, we're not used to that yeah, that that bright, bright, bright sunlight. But it was so nice to see this sort of out in the open and celebrated. And that's the word I really want to hone in on is it was celebratory. It was not somber. It was fun. It was exciting. It was sexy and accepting. It was a very accepting place. I looked around and said, you know, there's people from all walks of kink and even some that are not kinky, but they're here at least respectfully to, to be part of it. I was impressed. So Folsom Street Fair has spawned other events, including the incredibly kinky summer event uh, known as Dory Alley. What would you say the difference is between the two events between Folsom and Dory? I'm trying to remember which came first. Now, Dory Alley, which is what we still all call it, is technically called Up Your Alley. Yes. The producers would want me to say that, <laughs> that it's called Up Your Alley, but it used to be called Dory Alley because it was took place at Dory Alley and Folsom. It's like and a good stadium sponsorship. Like, people are still going to call it whatever they, they want. They are. <laughs> they, all my friends call it Dory Alley. They all do. Um, but technically, um, the Folsom Street folks would want me to say it's called Up Your Alley. The two events are very different. Up Your Alley 
is a very mixed orientation, gender expression event, but it's much more gay male. And I think it's more, oh, this is an imperfect word, more hardcore kinky guys, leather guys. It's smaller. It's a little more intimate. And once upon a time, the Folsom Street folks who produce it did not advertise Up Your Alley, a.k.a. Dory Alley, outside of San Francisco. With one exception, they had a placard up at International Mr. Leather's Vendor Market in Chicago. And that's the only place they would ever advertise it because they wanted to keep it very local and kind of for the local community. Well, that's changed. <laughs> I don't know where they else they advertise it, but I can tell you that people come in from all over the world to be part of that as well. But it still is much smaller than Folsom Street Fair. So this weekend at Folsom Street Fair, we're celebrating with the threat of MPOX. And before that, it was COVID-19, AIDS in the 80s. And I think this has a lot of us sort of contemplating our safety strategies. At Dory Alley, uh, I personally witnessed monitors walking around, uh, actually stopping people from having public sex. Uh, what do you think of this strategy, this protection strategy for people attending the, the event? Do you think it's a good idea? I never think it's a bad idea to make people aware of certain safety strategies. But with that said, I have to say that most of the community is pretty darn good at protecting themselves. A good example was when when MPOX was um, at its height in, in the Bay Area. I would go to events and I would notice that people were wearing long sleeves. People were not hugging quite so quickly. People were taking care of themselves, but still figuring out how to socialize and be with other people, et cetera. Luckily, the MPOX cases are going down significantly in the Bay Area. And to specifically gay men's credit, they are getting those vaccination shots very, very quickly. Yay, our community. Still have the bump on my arm. <laughs> I, I, st I do, too, for my second shot. It's true. And so I give them a lot of credit for, for grabbing a hold of their taking care of their own safety and the safety of the community. So anything we can do to raise awareness without heavy policing is good. And I think the Folsom Street events, production team, and all of the kinky event folks around town that, that do various kinds of events are very good at giving good information, measures put in place to make sure that, it, you know, at least the basics are taken care of in terms of safety. But understanding that each individual person makes their own decision yeah. and respecting that. Um, but I have to say, I'm very, very impressed with how, let's take the MPOX case in, in particular right now. The community responded and they responded well. And they deserve a lot of credit for responding so quickly and, and so robustly. The community, dare I say, responded faster than our government did. Uh, the community took it upon our own hands to get our shots. And I think that's impressive. I hope that that leads to a, a more free and open and fun Folsom Street Fair this year. Yeah, I think it will. I remember when I got my 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 first shot for MPUX and it was the San Francisco General and I was in line with 500 people lined up, ready to get their shot, some waiting for hours at a time to make sure they got it. Um, that's community. Mm -hmm. That's that's doing it right. It's um, and we had to push against the government to get the vaccines. And finally, you know, we have a strategy that allows us to have enough, enough vaccine for now. But um, I really do give the community credit for stepping up and doing the right thing. Do you have any advice for folks that are um, maybe approaching their first Folsom Street Fair weekend or uh, just feeling apprehensive or nervous about uh, getting out on the street? Do you have any advice for those folks? 
Yeah, I'm going to first mention something that's kind of um, a big thing in the community right now, and that's consent. Mm -hmm. uh, do not assume that just because somebody is dressed in all these kinky ways that you can walk up and touch them. I would recommend that if you are going to take a photograph of someone, you ask if you can. That's a form of consent as well. And if you have questions, ask someone and say, can I ask you a question about what you're wearing? Can I ask a question about what you're doing or anything? Most people are quite willing to be very forthcoming with information about themselves and about the kink scene generally. So um, consent, ask, observe from afar. <laughs> if you approach, approach cautiously and ask. And um, people are willing to, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. That's how you learn. What sorts of questions should folks be asking if they're just thinking about kink or maybe they've just discovered that they're interested in kink? Um, what, what, what sorts of questions should someone be asking of themselves before they dip their toe in the water? What do I think I want to explore? How do I think I want to explore that? For example, someone might be in a monogamous relationship and that's a very different you know, ball of wax than somebody who is single and can explore wherever. Yeah. So you have to sort of decide for yourself how you want to explore, with whom you want to explore, and then come up with a strategy for how to do that. The best strategy is to ask good questions. Of course, you can go online and do lots of searching. The only caution I will say is that porn is not reality. When you find kinky porn of any kind, realize that it is most often staged. It is idealized. It is fantasy because that's what it is. It's supposed to be that. So don't try to replicate the adult fare that you see online. Uh, ask people who are actually in the community. Uh, Folsom Street Fair is a great place to do that. And um, say the number one question you should then ask after you ask those questions of yourself, someone else is, how do I get started? How would you recommend I get started? And depending upon one's interest, that person may give you different advice. Race, what are your personal plans for Folsom Street Fair Weekend 2022? I have uh, a project that we're working on. It's a book and documentary project. Come look for our booth. It's, um, it'll be Kink is My Superpower. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it. Sure. I'm very happy that I'm able to give Janet Hardy, who is um, one of the co-authors of a very famous book called The Ethical Slut. Um, she's going to be getting the Race, Ban, and Advocacy Award from the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom during that. So I get to present that to her. She's kind of an icon of mine. I'm going to a photo opening for Mike Ruiz's debut of his, of his photo series. And that's about it. Just wall-to-wall -wall culture for you. Kinky people are cultured. <laughs> Ray Spannon is an author, educator, writer, and LGBTQIA activist based in San Francisco. He has three books on Amazon, ranging in topics from self-help to a how-to on kinky sex. You also have the podcast On Guard Cigar Salon. If folks want to keep in touch with you online, where's the best place to do that? Most socials, I'm either Race Bannon or Bannon Race, <laughs> in case Race Bannon was already taken. So you can go to Bannon.com or RaceBannon.com. I have a popular Substack. I'm pretty happy with these days. You can reach me in all those places. Or just find you at your booth at Folsom Street Fair. Right. Kink is my superpower. Look for the booth. Race Bannon, thank you so much for joining me out in the Bay. I really appreciate you asking. Mm -hmm.
For more information on Folsom Street Fair or this week's guest, Race Bannon, check out the post for this week's episode at outinthebay.org. That's where you can catch up on past episodes, get in touch with our team, sign up for our email newsletter, and make a donation. That's outinthebay.org. Out in the Bay is a nonprofit independent production, which means we don't get financial support from podcast platforms or the radio stations that play Out in the Bay each week. We rely on donations from listeners like you. Your donation helps us keep bringing queer air to your ears. You can make a donation. It's tax deductible at outinthebay.org. Thanks in advance. Special thanks to Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley and Cornelia Enders of San Francisco for your generous support. Thanks also to KALW 91.7 FM and San Francisco Public Press's radio station KSFP 102.5 FM in the San Francisco Bay Area for broadcasting out in the Bay each week. If you'd like to hear Queer Radio on your local public radio station, let them know and let us know. You can reach out anytime by emailing outinthebay at yahoo.com. Our executive producer is Eric Jansen. Our theme music is by Holly Mead. I'm Christopher Beal. I produced, engineered, and edited this episode of Out in the Bay. I'm at Real Chris J. Beal on social media. I'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week, Out in the Bay. Out in the Bay.